10. I'm going to read down for the end of the chapter. Of which salvation, of course, of course, that's really a continuation of the preceding verses. But of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which is in them did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed, that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you, by them that have preached the gospel unto you, with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Wherefore, go up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end, for the grace is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons, judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know that ye are not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead, and gave him glory, that, and that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth, through the Spirit and unfeigned love of the brethren, see ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. And so, title of the message tonight, Our Glorious Hope. And of course, the word hope used in the Bible means an expectation or confidence that we have. So it's something we are strongly expecting, something we have confidence in. And, uh, and of course, our salvation, we have confidence in that. You know, it's not completed yet. We haven't been redeemed from this old body and from this old world yet, although we are, but we're not. Now, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? In the sight of God, we are. In the mind of God, we are. But he just... the finished transaction, the, the final, the final uh, act of that, which we'll see here in a little bit, has not taken place yet. Uh, but it is a glorious hope that we have. So let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to look into thy precious word, to be encouraged and challenged in, uh, in, in this day and time. Lord, as we look about and the things that are happening in our world tonight, some things are very discouraging. But yet, Father, we have a glorious hope an expectation, a confidence as we walk with you, knowing that one day we will go to be with you. One day we will be uh, live in thy sight and rejoice in the blessings of our eternal inheritance. So Father, just encourage our hearts, challenge us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we think about our glorious hope, I want to notice seven things. Uh, first of all, and I usually don't have seven points, but uh, first of
first of all, we have a hope that has been investigated. If you notice verses 10 through 12, it says, Of which salvations the prophets, talking about the Old Testament prophets, have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Searching what? Or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which is in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. So, Peter's telling us here that the Old Testament prophets prophesied of Christ's coming. But when they prophesied of Christ's coming, you know, when we think of Christ's coming, we think of what? Two comings. The first and the second. But when they prophesied of Christ's coming, it all ran together. It all ran together. Uh, they did not understand this age in which we're living. We call it the age of grace or the age of the churches. Uh, and they inquired, or they, and that word inquired means they investigated, they scrutinized, they tried to figure it out. And then and he, he adds another word, he, search, or two words, search diligently. That word's, the, it means to search anxiously. And, and the word picture here was a hunting dog, Brother Welch, sniffing out a bird or a rabbit. I mean, they're intent. There's intensity. They're sniffing out that animal. You know, they... they you know, part of this, they were looking for or searching when Messiah would appear. And, and it, the example is this, and I've made reference to this before, but go over to Isaiah. I'm going to look at two passages in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 61. I think these some of the easiest ones to understand this, this truth. Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. <clears throat> Excuse me. Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach the good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. Now, when Jesus went into the synagogue in Luke chapter 4, he opened to this passage of scripture and he read it. He read it, but he stopped at the comma in verse 2 where it's where at the, the year of the Lord. He stopped right there. He didn't read the whole verse. And then he, he gave the book back to the minister and said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. You see, between, between the word Lord, the year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance has been 2,000 years. Uh, the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance. Of course, the day of vengeance speaks about his second coming. His second coming. Uh, and there's been over 2,000 years between the two. Uh, we see another example of this. Go to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9 actually gives us a date as to when the Messiah would appear. But in Daniel 9, verse 26 and 27, of course, you know, Daniel, Daniel, he searched records. He searched books. And he learned from the books of Jeremiah. One, one of the places in, 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 uh, 
in Daniel, it talks about looking into the books of Jeremiah. And, you know, Daniel was a man, he was a student of the Word. You know, the advantage we have is we have a whole Bible. They didn't have that back then. But Daniel determined the time when Messiah would appear. And it's believed by most commentators that that's how the Magi or the wise men knew. They had the books of Daniel. It was in Babylon. You know, Daniel was in Babylon. He was at, he was at, he was in Persia, and that's where they that, they came from that area of the world. So I believe that's how they knew from books of Daniel. But anyway, in Daniel nine twenty six it says, and after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not from himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with the flood. And unto the end of the war desolations are determined. Now there's a little discrepancy between commentators. Uh, you know. We know here the Messiah cut off is speaking about the crucifixion. But the rest of the verse, does it refer to Titus, or is it still yet future? Uh, you know, Titus destroying, I, I, my personal opinion, I think he's referring to Titus, destroying the city and the sanctuary. But notice verse 7, and then it says, And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease, and the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate even under the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. So verse 27, it's obvious that, that, that the sanctuary is not destroyed because he's gonna, someone is going to make a covenant with Israel for a week. And if you would study this all out, and I'm not going to take time to do that tonight and explain it all to you, but a week is seven years. It's, it's, it's seven years. Uh, and midst of the week. And if you study Daniel, you'll find he talks about times, time and a half, you know, times is two, time and a half is one and a half, it's three and a half years. So, and he's talking about the tribulation period, it's going to be divided into two parts. And the, the Antichrist is going to make a, a, a treaty with Israel, and then in the middle of that treaty, which is seven years, three and a half years, in, he's going to break it. And he's going to desecrate the Jewish people and the Jewish nation. In fact, two-thirds will die. Revelation tells us that. I think it's, no, it's Zechariah tells us two-thirds will die of the Jewish people. Uh, they will be massacred. And, of course, he's going to set himself up to be worshipped. So so between verse 26 and verse 27, again, there's 2,000 years. Which the prophets did not understand. But it was it's given to us. All these things are given to us, and they're revealed to us. Notice verse 12 says, Unto whom it was revealed, that not unto themselves. In other words, they were given the prophecies. The prophecies were revealed to them, but they really didn't understand them. But unto us, they administer the things which are now reported unto you. So these things have been searched out. They've been investigated. Our hope in Christ has been investigated by the prophets, the Old Testament prophets. But it's also been looked into by the angels. If you notice again verse 12, at the end of that verse says, uh, By them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Well, the Bible tells in Hebrews that the angels are ministering spirit unto the heirs of salvation. So they are ministering to us. That's their, that's their job description, if you will. To minister to us. Uh, Michael, the archangel, as he's called, was was the prince of Israel. Daniel calls him that. Uh, he, he fought for Israel. Uh, 
But the angels here, the Bible tells us here, the angels look into or they desire, they have an interest or desire, look into what we have in Christ. I got a little secret. What they have is not as good as what we have. That's why they look into it. The word look into has the idea they're, they're stooping down and closely examining it. Sort of like a scientist would put something under a microscope so he can see it better. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul makes an interesting statement in Ephesians chapter 3 uh, about, the, about the church, the ter- church instructing or enlightening principalities and powers in heaven. In Ephesians 3 verse 8, Unto me, whom less than the least of all saints is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. You know, a mystery is something that's before hidden but is now revealed. Which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now, under the principalities and powers in heavenly places, might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. So I believe what the Bible is telling us here is that, that we are showing to the angels, revealing to them, God's eternal purpose in Christ Jesus, redeeming us unto himself. So our hope is one that has been investigated. Secondly, we have a hope given by a holy father. If you notice in verse 14 through 17 of our text in 1 Peter, it says, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts and your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. So we are to fear God, we are to fear Him, give reverence to Him. He is a holy God. And, and, and you know, our, we have a hope given to us by a holy Father. He is holy, He desires that we be holy, that we be like Him. You know, God is, God is, God is completely, you know, it's hard for us to comprehend this, God is completely holy. James says in James 1.17, Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. There's, there's not any variation in God. You know, a lot of people have lights in their house that they have on dimmer switches, and you, know, you can vary the amount of light. Um, you know, of course, you can get different wattage, so you you know you can get various brightness of light, but there's no variant variableness in God. He's always the same. There's no change. There's no fluctuation. You know, we human beings, we there we fluctuate. You know, we can be happy as a lark one day and, and mad as a hornet the next. You know, they call that bipolar. That's a good 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 uh, good. Uh, psychologist definition of well you're just rotten that's all you know uh, you know you just have a bad attitude 
You get right with God. That's, you know, but anyway, that's the way human beings are. We fluctuate. God doesn't. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. First uh, John, First John one, First John one verses five through seven says, "This then is the message which you have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So there's not a shade of darkness in him. You know, we have a lot of light in this building here tonight, but there are shades, there are shadows. As I look around, I can see shadows. There's no shadows with God." You know when it talks about Revelation that there's going to be no need of the sun? For the Lord God is the light thereof. I mean it would be pure light. There will be no shadows. be no sin either. Verse 6 says, If we say that we fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 John 3 and verse 5, it says, and you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is, that's present tense, in him is no sin. Peter tells us that in, there's no guile found in his mouth, uh, 1 Peter 2, 22. So in him is no sin. There never was, there never will be. He's the son of God. He's impeccable. He cannot sin. He has no sin nature. You know, we, get our, we inherit our sin nature from our parents through the blood. And that, by the way, comes from the Father, particularly. But there was no sin nature in him. So Habakkuk 1.13 says, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. God can't even look on sin. You might say, well, how does he, he look at us? Through the blood of Christ. Through the blood of Christ. That's how he looks at us. And there, therefore he sees us without sin if we've received Christ as our Lord and Savior. So he is holy and desires that we be holy. Secondly, his holiness requires that he does not show favoritism. I like this part. Verse 17 says, If you call him a father who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. You know, God judges every person according to their works. You know, this is because he's holy. It's because he was without sin. Colossians 3.25 But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. And there is no respect of persons. Romans 2.11, for there is no respect of persons with God. You know, some think they should have special treatment because of who or what they are. But God doesn't give special treatment because of who you are. Or who you or what you are. You might gain his favor by being obedient to him, but if you sin, the consequences are still the same for I don't care who you are. You know, the story is told about Bill Bradley. He was at a political banquet. And when the busboy delivered the standard pat of butter and a roll to his bread plate, Bradley said, Excuse me, son, could I have a couple more pats of butter? 
I'm sorry, sir, but I was told to give everyone just one pat, the server replied. Do you know who I am? asked Bradley. I'm Bill Bradley, All-American forward for Princeton, All-Star forward for the New York Knicks, and U.S. Senator from the state of New Jersey. Really? Do you know who I am? the lad replied. Surprised, Bradley said, No, who are you? I'm the guy with the butter. <laughs> See, God's the guy with the butter. He don't care who you are. He don't care who you are. In fact, in 1 Samuel 2, verse 30, the Bible says, Wherefore the Lord God of Israel saith, I said indeed that thy house and the house of thy father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord saith, Be it far from me, for them that honor me I will honor, and they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Now he was speaking there to Eli, one chosen as high priest. But Eli's children lost their position because he honored his sons above the Lord. God's no respecter of persons. You know, if God was a respecter of persons, I think he would have let Moses into the promised land. Think of it. Here's Moses, a man highly honored by God, who spoke with God face to face, who led the children of Israel through the wilderness and put up with all their murmurings and complainings and all that. And But Moses sinned against the Lord. And instead of speaking to the rock, he struck it twice. So did God show favoritism? Well, because it's Moses, I'll let him get away with it. Yeah, he, he can still go in. No. And Moses asked the Lord three times. And finally the Lord said, No, don't ask again. My, my revised version. But basically that's why he said, Don't ask again. You can see it, but you're not going in. You see, you know, we can have hope, though we are nobody. God will judge you for your works, not your family tree, not your race, not your gender, not your wealth, not your popularity. None of that matters. It's according to your, your own works. He's going to judge us for works of what sort they are. He doesn't care where you came from. Oh, he cares, but he doesn't judge on those things. See, we have a God who's holy and is without respect of persons. So we have a hope given by a holy father. Thirdly, we have a hope provided at great expense. Notice verse 18 and 19. The Bible says, For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You see, we have a hope provided for us at great expense. The word precious here means of great price. It was valuable or costly. It's highly esteemed. The, the Bible describes it, the Word of God describes that as incorruptible blood. In Acts 20, 28, it says we were redeemed with the blood of God. He purchased us with the blood of God. And so, 
we have been purchased, or this hope has been provided for us at great expense. Go to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. And that blood is still living today, friends. It's on the mercy seat in heaven. Still cleansing us from sin. Uh, Hebrews 9, verse uh, 11. But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered into entered in once into the holy place, having attained eternal redemption for us. Verse 24 tells us, For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. And then in chapter 12, you know, there's a lot of people that question whether the blood of Christ is in heaven or not. But chapter 12, verse 22, I think makes it pretty plain. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. So we're talking about a heavenly Jerusalem. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn, notice, which are written in heaven, to the God, the judge of all. Where's God? He's in heaven. And to the spirits of just men made perfect. We ain't made perfect. We aren't perfect in this life. We'll be perfect when we get there. And to Jesus, the mediator in the new covenant, he's in heaven mediating for us, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. You see, we were, we were purchased, or our hope was provided for at great expense. It was incorruptible blood. It was precious blood that was shed for our sin. And the more costly or value the ransom paid, the greater the judgment of its rejection. Or to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. You see, it's a serious thing to reject the precious blood of Christ as a ransom for your sin because of the value of that ransom that was paid. Hebrews 10.26, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice of sins. There's only one sacrifice that's going to cover, that's going to cleanse us from our sins, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which should devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. We know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith Lord, and again the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You see, how much sore punishment is somebody worthy than a guy who picked up sticks on the Sabbath day and he was stoned because he disregarded and counted the God's word as nothing. How much sore punishment is going to be meted out to those who despise or look at the blood of Christ that was shed for their sin, that precious blood as people die every day. 
not for the sins of the world. God doesn't die every day. But the God-man died. That was precious blood. That was a great price that was paid. You know, doesn't despite, and, and, and really it's like trampling underfoot. You know, the Jews have one thing right. You know, Orthodox Jews, most of them today, say that all the evil that's happened to them is because of Jesus Christ. Now, they don't look at it from the right perspective. But one of the things that Jewish leaders said was, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. They've lost the favor of God because of their rejection of him. And they have paid a terrible price. Why? What they do? They stomped it underfoot. They despised it. Now, well, we have a hope that's been provided for at great expense. Fourthly, we have a hope prepared from eternity past. Notice verse 20. It says, Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Now, we're getting into that tricky stuff that Bradley was talking about this morning. Bradley had me hold my breath for a minute there. He was saying you have to throw out the whole first book, part of the book of, you know, of uh, uh, chapter 8 of uh, if you believe that option, he said. You know, he kind of cleared himself up. He had me scared for a minute. But anyway, uh, you know, we're talking about foreordained or foreknowledge. Of course, God has foreknowledge. In 1 Peter 1, verse 2, it says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Uh, in Revelation 13, there's another, another statement like what we read here in Peter. Revelation 13, 8, where it says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life, of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. You see, friends, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God didn't have to sit down like we do and say, oh, now what do I do? Now what do I do? He already knew. He wasn't surprised. He didn't say, oh, oops. No, he already knew. The Bible simply says he made coats of skins and clothed them. Of course, you know, there's a lot of implications there. He had to kill animals. That's the first animals that were killed. That first thing that died in the garden, physically. Adam and Eve died. They were separated from God. But but first thing to die, physical death in the garden, was these, was these animals from which God made coats of skin and clothed them, covered their nakedness. So the idea, again, is a covering for sin. And then in Genesis 3.15, he said this, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So Christ would deal a death blow, a blow to the head of Satan. He would destroy death. That's what this is referring to. Although 
he was going to be bruised. He'd have to die to do it. And there's been enmity ever since. There's been a battle ever since. So this was a hope. This was a hope prepared from eternity past. In the foreknowledge of God. That's foreordained. Fifthly, it's a hope guaranteed to us by the resurrection of Christ. Notice verse 21. Who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. You see, we can have assurance of this hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1 again, verses 15 through 20, uh, Paul, writing to the church of Ephesus, said, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him in his own right hand in heavenly places. See, that's, our, that's what our hope, that's a basis for our hope is the resurrection. It guarantees this hope, this expectation that we have in Christ. That was the, the resurrection, you know, was the thing that got Paul in trouble with the Pharisees, with the Jews. You know, in Acts 23, in his testimony, two different times, in Acts 23, 6, Paul said, when Paul perceived that one part was Sadducees, the other Pharisees, he cried out, Council, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, of the hope and resurrection of the dead, am I called in question. And then in chapter 24, verse 15, he says, And I have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and unjust. And Peter tells us in verse Peter chapter 1, verse 3, that we... Uh, uh, we have a lively hope. How? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, that blessed hope, you know, Titus talks about looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing. What's the, what's the basis of that hope? It's the resurrection. The resurrection. It's all based on the resurrection of Christ. A man named, I guess it's Nero, not Nero, Nero, similar to that. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing it right. Anyway, India's first prime minister said, quote, In a thousand years, the religions of India have never motiv motivated anyone to plow a field, build a house, drain a swamp, or dam a stream. But let us not deny the churches do. It has helped lift people's burdens in every part of the world. The motivating force has been the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Unquote. See, it's the resurrection that empowers, that gives power to the Christian life. It's, it's what makes us different and distinct from all religions of the world.
the resurrection. And so we have that hope by the resurrection, guaranteed by the resurrection of Christ. And then number six, we have a hope that will be visual or complete at the revelation of Christ. If you notice in verse 13, he says, Wherefore, go to the learns of your mind, be sober and hope to the end, for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, the word revelation means appearing or manifestation. Uh, you know, we have a, a book in the Bible. It's not called Revelations. It's called Revelation. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it talks about His revelation or His appearing, His coming appearing. That's what it's about. Uh, in fact, in Revelation 1, verse 7, it, He tells us that every eye shall see Him. Revelation 1, 7. Uh, says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and, e and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. So it's, it is the revelation. Our, and our hope will then be visual. It will be complete at the revelation. Notice it says it's to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Go Titus chapter 2 verse 13 says looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. First um, Peter 1 9 first Peter 1 9 says receiving the end of your faith even the salvation of your souls. And he's talking there about the time when when God will either in the rapture or through death we go to be with him and at the last that the resurrection talking about the completion of all things, where our salvation will then be complete and we will live with Him forever. And faith will turn to sight. You know, we, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, of course, speaks of this, familiar, familiar passage, but it says, But I would not have you ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep, that you saw or not, even as others have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, it's based on again on the resurrection, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. But this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain of the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Of course, the word sleep here speaks of, of those who have died. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. You know, one of, this, one of these days, this old body's got to put off corruption and put on incorruption. And then we brought to pass a saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. You see, we have a hope that will be visual and complete at the revelation of Christ when he's revealed. And then, number seven and, and lastly, a hope made our own by receiving the word of the Lord. Notice verse 23 through 25. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as a flower of grass. 
The grass withereth, and the flower thereof faileth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. You see, this hope is ours by receiving his word. And this word, this word, again, like the blood, is incorruptible. You know, I, it, it, it just it kind of boggles my mind sometimes how these people who claim to be Bible believers can get around the preservation of Scripture. Of course, they have a different, different definition of preservation. They would say, yes, the Word is preserved. He didn't promise to preserve the words, just the Word. It's all a matter of semantics, you know. And by that Word, they mean all the thoughts. Not every word. Well, my only problem with that I have is, Matthew tells us, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Matthew 5 tells us, every jot and tittle shall be fulfilled. They'll not pass away. So, we have an incorruptible word. And this word, Though we perish, though our bodies perish, you know, man's like a flower of the grass. Everything that man does under the sun is just like flowers and grass. It's temporary. It fades. And every work that man tries to earn his way to God is just going to pass away. No, our eternal salvation, our hope, has to be in something that is incorruptible, that will not pass away, and that is the word of the Lord. See, the reason I know I'm saved is not because I always feel like it. No, the Word of God says so. The Word of God says so. My assurance comes from the Word of God, not from me. You see, he says, being born again, not of corruptible seeds, not of me, but of incorruptible, by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. He who abides forever and endures forever. John, in John 17, 8, in, in, his, in his prayer, his high priestly prayer, the Lord's prayer, Jesus said, For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them. And have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. You know, that's where we get the name or the Greek text from which the King James Bible has been translated, it's called the text of Receptus, which means received text. Why? Because Jesus said his disciples received his word. They believed it. They, they put their hopes, they put their dependence upon it. That's what they rested in for their salvation. Their confidence was not in themselves, but in the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. You see, we can have hope. We can have confidence. We can have assurance by receiving his word. But we've got to receive it. You know, it's so like food. To get the nutrients out of food, you have to ingest it. You have to digest it. See, we have to digest the word 
receive it into our life by obeying it, putting it into practice. So we do have a glorious hope. We have a glorious hope given to us by the word of God. Might we take heed to his word. Might we have that confidence, assurance by spending the time in his word that we need each day. That we can have a confidence, assurance and be able to give a reason of the hope that lieth winneth us with meekness and fear to those about us who have no hope. You know, the world's without hope tonight. But we have hope. We need to live in light of that hope and be a, a minister. That's male. I'm not sure how you say that in female terms. But be able to minister to those who have no hope because of what we have in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time in your word tonight. Thank you for the encouragement that we find therein. Lord, I pray you help us as your people to spend the time to receive your word that we might grow in grace. Lord, if there's any of the here that not sure, have assurance of salvation, the Spirit of God will work in their hearts. Help them realize they must receive the word, be obedient to it, act upon it, pattern their life after it. We pray that you just help us. Thank you again for your promises. Thank you again for the salvation that is ours through our Lord Jesus Christ and the assurance by the resurrection that we have by the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. We pray in Jesus' name.